tonight, listening to God. Um, I think it's, um, some of us probably manage quite well. It sounds like a boring relationship. You know when one person does all the talking and uh, you don't get anything back? But I don't know, um, you can make your own judgments about if that's how the relationship works within your households and whether you sort of transfer that onto God or not, I don't know. But um, I think God's wanting us to be a little bit more silent. He wants us to ask for things, but wouldn't it be so wonderful if we got better at hearing him? Um, There's all sorts of conflicting noises in life at the moment. Um, I don't know whether you feel like that. Life is very, very noisy and there's all sorts of voices. I was um, um, wondering and sort of thinking back what my hearing's been like over the years. I don't know whether you have any teenagers in your household, some of you, or know what a teenager looks like. I was one of those once, hard to imagine. But uh, I had selective hearing, I seem to remember, not only in my household, but when it came to lessons and things like that as well. Sorry, teachers. There are still probably one or two children like that these days. Uh, But when I grew up properly at 20, I was thrown into a, a job in the city, and one of the Um, roles of that job was to try and listen very, very carefully. And if you can imagine a room with probably a few more people here at the moment, and I think I was about 18, 19, 20, and I started working on the trading markets. I had to put the prices in, and if you got the prices wrong, people would um, swear at you quite aggressively. So you learn to get it a little bit more right because it wasn't nice to be sworn at. And then when I grew up a little bit more, I had this job called a call chairman. At the start of the day's business, this is little me, very young, all older and aggressive. It was mainly gentlemen. It was morning gentlemen. And you'd ask, sellers, please. And everyone would go, wah, and shout at you. And you had to pick up the clearest voice offering the lowest price if they were a seller. And you'd say that out loud, and you'd know if you got it wrong. And then, bias, please. And you have to pick out the voice of the person looking down at my sheet who had the highest bid. Then they start trading. You learn very quickly to attune your hearing because it was in a day that things weren't particularly politically correct and people weren't restrained from expressing their feelings if you got it wrong. Not that I would do this, but if they gave you too much abuse, you could possibly get selective hearing until they learnt to do it a little bit more politely. Some of the noises that we have in life that we need to discern are probably noises within. We already prayed about anxieties. But there's all sorts of things that play around in our minds and our thoughts based on past experiences that sometimes clarify things and sometimes complicate things quite a lot when it comes to listening to God. We need to discern and trust what we think God's saying. But if we're really honest, um, our hearing is partial 
and we can't always tell. At the moment, we ask for discernment when it comes to the coronavirus crisis. Um, Who do we pay attention to? We pay attention to our government, the Church of England, all sorts of conflicting opinions and advice. But ultimately, we as a church and you as individuals need to make a decision. I've just been reflecting on it a little bit, and everyone's going to reflect on this sort of endlessly. But I think um, just in my own life, there's probably loads and loads of things that unwittingly I've probably valued more than God. Um, Like a job or a pension or a this or a that or the other. And the nations have been shaken and some of the things that we've made out as idols and we've placed above God, we can't change their situation. And it gets even more critical when we think about people, doesn't it? I can't try harder We can be more hygienic, but I can't try harder to protect a vulnerable person within our community. Their life is not in my hands. I think part of our listening, maybe in prayer this evening, can be, Lord, what is it that we've set as more important to you than you? And maybe it's not about making these things less important because they are very, very important. I think maybe our solution to idolatry is placing God higher than all these things. And again, it's sometimes hard to discern and it's even harder to do. One thing that shouldn't be shaken and can't be snatched away, so we might have to meet differently as we've um, just heard, but no one can ban prayer. Love can't be written off either. These things will endure forever. We need to sift fact from fiction, wisdom from fear. We listen to the wisdom of those we trust. And maybe, just maybe, some of us, and I've expressed that I struggle with this, Sometimes just waiting before God in silence, praying that he would be God, maybe that's the most effective way that God can speak with us. Be intentional about listening with my spirit. I don't know how God speaks to you. He probably speaks to you in all sorts of different ways. None of us are the same. And some of you might not be very practiced in this. But I was trying to explain earlier, it's worth the practice of getting this two-way relationship a bit more balanced. The Bible reminds us that uh, um, God communicates in lots of ways. His primary way is through Scripture, and we prayerfully read and listen to him through that. Maybe words jump out in inner conviction. The Bible teaches that God speaks through dreams and visions and prophecy through creation and occasionally through his audible voice. 
He also speaks through others, through conversations, and through preaching, teaching, and others modeling how to be obedient followers, disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ in their daily living. I think God often speaks to me through friends. He speaks to me, it's not always issued in the right way, occasionally through my children. Sometimes we wait and wait on God and nothing much happens. Maybe we wait until there's a sense of inner peace. Maybe we wait and we have a dis-ease about a situation and that gives us direction. There can be times when we wait and wait, but we really need to get on with it and go for it and dare to fail, make a decision, act. Just trust the fact that we've been journeying with the Lord for a very long time and it's unlikely that we're going to make a reckless decision about certain things. I love this scripture from Isaiah 30, verse 21. Whether you turn to the right or the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. For me, God speaks maybe most frequently when I actually ask him to speak to me or I open myself to hearing his voice. So quite commonly, if I'm praying for someone, you feel quite bankrupt to offer nothing. So I'm asking quite intently, Lord, Lord, what is it you'd like to pray in this situation? When I'm leading worship, there's this constant conversation that's going on all the time. Lord, what is it that you want to do? What is it you want me to say or speak in to the situation? Very often leading groups or trying to... Um, discern maybe direction and vision. We wait on God. And he does prompt us very often not as quickly as we'd like. The Bible passage that we've, has been chosen for, for this evening is from 1 Samuel 3. And I'm going to read that to you. You haven't got um, Bibles in your pews because a... Um, very respected medical um, advisor today, saw everyone pouring over the Bibles at eight o'clock, which is normally something that you encourage in church, but was aware that we're such a godly church that everyone was going to pour over their Bibles at 9.30, and they're even more holy at 11.15, and they're going to do it here, and we wouldn't have been able to restrain you this evening, but next week, church might have been emptied uh, because of cross-infection. So the, the, <laughs> so the Bibles have been removed, but you are welcome to bring your own Bibles if you own one, and some people have got them on their phones. So I'm very, very sorry. You have to trust me that I'm reading the right words this evening as I read this out to you. And the only way of me being sure of reading the right words is putting my glasses on, because I could just about make it up, because I know this story a little bit. Anyway, 1 Samuel 3. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming weak, or so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. Seems like the, um, the temple was their dormitory as well. 
We're not suggesting that during my sermon this evening in church. The lamp of God had not gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. This is a holy, sacred place. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. But Eli said, I imagine a little bit in a grump, I did not call you, go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Again the Lord called, Samuel. It might have been quieter than that. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. My son Eli said, I didn't call you, go back and lie down. Now Samuel didn't yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. The Lord called Samuel a third time. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. I like Samuel. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, go and lie down. And if he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there, calling as at the other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. This Bible passage comes at a time in the life of the people of God where there was significant change. Like we're going through change. They're going through significant change. They'd been nomads and then um, they'd gone into the promised land and they'd had judges ruling them and their um, way of doing it didn't work out. And now we're in sort of this transition where they're going to have new rulers. It's going to be a monarchy and Samuel is going to be the one um, that helps them with God's help to discern who's to be called. Samuel, as you know, was born out of heartache and prayer. We know that um, his mum, Hannah, was loved by her husband, but she was childless and she was taunted. He was married to two wives. He much preferred Hannah to the other one, I'm not sure. Uh, it's complicated, isn't it? But that's the fact. And um, he was trying to convince her that um, I'm more important, I think it says, than um, 10 sons. Aren't I enough? And he wasn't enough. She felt deeply ashamed, maybe. And this just sort of emptiness inside her. She wanted a son. Went to the temple, faithful person, crying out to God. And Eli thought that she'd lost the plot. She explains the situation. And I think he prays that the situation would change. But as a part of that, um, she agrees, if she has this child, to offer the child back to God. What's the most precious thing that you've ever longed for, that you've cried out to God for? How much 
would you trust God with that? Part of the background is that she did bring the son, Samuel, and he resided in the temple. And this was sort of really, really strange. It's obviously what God had intended as well. But Eli, um, and some of us might share this, but he wasn't a great parent. He was struggling to control how his children behaved. In this instance, it was quite extreme because they were uh, doing dodgy stuff with the Lord's offering, the offerings that came to the Lord. It was very, very dishonoring. Our kids might do dishonoring things from time to time, but this is right at the heart of the holy worship of the people. And they were nicking the choice offerings and taking it to themselves. And Eli gets to find out and he rebukes his boys for doing it. But they continue anyway. And he's obviously not persuasive. The sons were greedy. They were bullies. They perverted the religion. They weren't true to their faith in God. And maybe a mini lesson in all this is that their hearts must have been a long way from God. You can be in the space and maybe even going through the motions, but you can still be far off. For us, the invitation is to stay close to God and to stay faithful to him. We're called to honour God above all else, family included. The lesson from Eli is not to turn a blind eye to false religion and anti-God behaviour. Eli had heard, as I said, what his sons were doing. In verse 29, it says, Why do you honour your sons more than me by fattening yourselves on the choice parts of every offering made by my people. Just turning to chapter 3, Samuel faith, verse 1, Samuel faithfully ministered before the Lord and we're told that the word of the Lord was rare. There weren't many visions. All of us are called like him to honour God. As I said, the temple should have represented a holy place, a God-filled space, a place um, filled with God's manifest presence. And uh, just thinking about this space, that's what we've tried to fill it with this evening, our praises. But actually, I'm not sure that that's the answer. I think... When we as Christians think about temple, we think about ourselves and our bodies being a temple of the Holy Spirit. We think about our homes. We're thinking about our places of work. We're thinking about everywhere that we have influence. We take God's holiness with us. Eli's sons were faithless. Our faith and faithfulness will have a direct impact on our relationship with God. Verse 2, Eli's eyes were weak. He was physically frail. And I'd like to suggest that he had spiritual deafness and blindness, but he didn't know enough to know that when he got woken up three times, there might be someone else speaking. Hannah was barren physically for a season. The priests were spiritually barren. So help us God. 
The people were therefore starved of God's word. Verse 7, Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Listening to God is a gift that can develop with practice. He didn't have a great peer group to learn from, so the Lord needed to teach him himself. The Lord called Samuel three times. Eventually, after some advice, Eli helped Samuel to know how to respond. The tough thing is that Samuel brought a message of judgment on Eli and his house. Their family line was going to get cut off. And what amazes me about Eli is he is willing to hear the message and accepted it as a word from the Lord. I'm praying that I never hear a message like that for my family or anyone else's family. So help us, God. I'm not sure that, yeah, I'm conflicted about whether God behaves like that, but it's written in Scripture, so he obviously behaved like that in this instant. I'd probably like to suggest that any of this sort of stuff I'm slightly hoping here, but my theology is that Jesus on the cross took a load of that stuff for me and for you. Verse 10, the Lord came and stood there calling as the other times, Samuel, Samuel, what persistence, how encouraging. Samuel said, speak for your servant is listening. Samuel's vocation in life was to hear and obey God and communicate that word to others, which could be scary at times. He had a faltering start. I find that encouraging, but then became one of the greatest prophets. God is persistent in calling him, calling him by name. Samuel, Samuel. This evening, would you dare to hear your name in Samuel's stead? Hannah, Hannah, Tim, Tim, Richard, Richard, John, John, Julian, Julian, Steve, Steve. May we have the courage and the common sense to say, speak, your servant is listening. What is God persistent in calling you to do or be? Speak, for your servants are listening. Let's pray.